we, I was living in Prospect Park Slope in Brooklyn at the time with my girl, then girlfriend and a gay couple upstairs, Brian and Steve, moved to San Francisco so we came out to visit them. And I'll never forget, I got off the super shuttle up in the hate. It was on Hayes Street and I got out and I smelled the eucalyptus again. The eucalyptus, I smelled the eucalyptus, I saw the red light bulbs in the windows. There was no one on the street as far as the eye could see and it was cool and it was beautiful and it was like the salt in the air, the smell. Something about San Francisco, something about San Francisco just grabbed my heart in that moment and it's never let go to this day. That was bar owner Kevin DeMattia. I'm Jeff and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, we bring you bartenders, photographers, filmmakers, and other San Franciscans talking about living, working, and doing their thing here. It's a way to get to know your neighbors. Welcome to episode 45, part two. In the last podcast, Kevin told us about his love of climbing large structures like skyscrapers and Sutro Tower. In this episode, he goes through his history of bartending and barbacking all over San Francisco. He eventually landed a gig at Bender's Bar and Grill in the Mission, and later became one of its owners. Here's Kevin. I want to talk a little bit about um, owning a bar and what it takes to own a bar, and how I came into owning a bar, which is very a very different route than most people come about it. Um, which I'm one of the few examples of someone that worked their way into it. No money was given to me. I did it all on my own. And uh, how that came about was um, I never went to college. I hated school. Even though I'm a voracious reader, I just do not like school or anything. So I've never had a good job. I'd work in uh, junkyards where they had me cataloging um, alternators and parts in some shithole in New Jersey. And I would just go out there and they would find me. They never, I never forgot this. They found me. I was like watching a butterfly. It was like flexing its wings on a fence. And I was transfixed. Like it was minutes on end. I was just staring at this thing and it was just... A minute of beauty in this world of grime and, and toxic masculinity, and I was just really enjoying it. And it just—I've had so many jobs where nothing worked, nothing clicked, nothing made sense. I hated every second of it, like most people do their jobs. So all I could do was—I had no skills, so all I could do was take off my clothes. I was a nude model in New York for years. I'd gotten drunk at parties, and as I, I was like the push boundaries um so i'd be at a party and i would just take off all my clothes and then people would you know run out of the room or something back when things could be <laughs> shocking now it seems like everything's been done ad infinitum or nothing is shocking anymore was this the 90s and by any chance this was or the late 90s, 80s yeah or 90s? this was yeah, the late yeah. 80s early 90s yeah okay and so i took off my clothes at parties for years one time i took cat shit out of the litter box and ate it and 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 just because someone said i'll give you five bucks to like clear the room out but you can't be violent or something. And I was like, and I, and then I, I went over to the litter box and pulled out a piece of cake. It was like a candy bar. I had the crispy outer shell with the little uh, cat, with the little um, nuggets on it. And I put it in my mouth and I didn't, people screaming, they were retching. And I cleared the whole party out. I got my five bucks. People talked about it for years. And then, and then somebody was like, dude, you should get paid for that. Be a nude model. And I was like, this is great. I'll get paid to take my clothes off. So in New York, that's what I did. I was a nude model for four years, all different art students league, different places. I would just go in and you'd just take off your clothes and you stand in front of the room and they draw you. And it's a beautiful experience because I was reading The Agony and the Ecstasy by Irving Stone about Michelangelo. And in some weird way, I felt like I was part of this uh, beautiful artistic tradition because you, you smell the, the plaster and the paints and the oil paints and you're just surrounded by artists. What, what, more, what, what a beautiful experience. 
and being in the middle of the room and having 40 people draw you, paint you, or sculpt you, you get to see yourself through the prism of their consciousness, which is some people would draw me as looking ferociously like a Cro-Magnon. Other, I'd have this effet, almost like childlike, girlish quality with like soft pink cheeks and soft rounded features. So it's really cool when you're in that kind of environment to see how different people perceive you, you know? So I did that for years. I worked in skateboard warehouses, packaging skateboards up. I had no skill set at all. I moved to San Francisco. I couldn't. I was a trainer at 24 Hour Fitness, and I hated it because you have to be a shark and sell training packages to people. I just wanted to show people how to work out. You know, I fell in love with the city without even seeing a single person. Just the city itself spoke to me, like without speaking, and. And then when I saw that you could be whoever you want to be out here, there was like dreadlocks and piercings and art and music and culture. And it was just everyone that got locked in a locker in high school kind of found their way out here. Everyone that was picked on, the refused, the people that got shat upon and denied. And, and you come out here and reinvent yourself, be yourself, be yourself to the nth degree. And I felt that completely and wholeheartedly. Okay. That being said, I still couldn't do anything as far as work. I, I had no skills. So I was selling eyewear at a place called Vision First, which is still there on Kearney Street between Bush and Pine. And uh, I don't even need glasses, so it was really stupid. Um, and I didn't like it. And then this one fellow, he would come in and he saw my work ethic that I seemed like I was kind of like on top of things in the shop. I was cleaning and organizing and stuff like that. And he goes, I need somebody to bar back for me, and I think you'd be the perfect fit. And I said, well, I can't. I've been here for a year. I can't just walk out. And he, Well, the caveat was I need you this weekend. And I said, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, these guys have been good to me. I'm loyal to this place. I don't enjoy it, but I'm not just going to leave them. He goes, okay. He came in the next week. He said, I need another bar back this weekend. You know, please come do it. Again, two days. I said, no, I already told him. Uh, no, no. The third time he came in, there's something in his eyes. He looked at me. He said, I think you're going to be a great, you'll, you'll do great at this. And um, trust me, you're going to make a lot of money. Do this. Something about what he, how he looked at me. I said, okay. I'll do it. I gave them like three days notice. I was tearful. I was almost crying. I, was, I, I, I felt like I was leaving them in the lurch, which I was. But I went and I barbacked for him. And it was at a place that's now called the Century Movie Theaters. It's on Mission between 4th and 5th. And it used to be called Big Heart City. And there's a club downstairs called The Terminator, which is like an old rock and roll. Like a lot of DJs would come in, hip hop, rock and roll and stuff. And this place was cavernous. It was like New York's limelight. There was like main rooms and side rooms. And it was, it was like sex things going on upstairs. And it was just a wild place. And I came in there, man, and I'm telling you, I took to it like a fish takes to water. I walked in that building and I looked around and everything made sense to me. I, I, I wish that I'd found the bar industry when I was 18 years old. I'd have to wait till I was... 30, I was like 30 when I got into the bar game. I was going to ask, you didn't have any bar experience I prior no, to that? I had no bar experience, yeah. And, and I, I went there and uh, holy smokes, what a work. I would, I would get there at 4 in the afternoon and I would work until 9 p.m. when the bar staff would show up. And that's when the bar would open, when the club would open at 9 p.m. And I would get done at 4 a.m. in the morning. And I would work 12-hour shifts every Friday and Saturday straight. And this is dripping sweat. I, I, it was a joke because I had a flashlight clenched in my teeth the whole time. So I was on my knees, stocking beer, sprinting around the bar. There was, I had three main bartenders that would each ring like between three and four grand. Um, each it was like the zeitgeist back then. It was these huge parties where there was no glassware. It was just plasticware. So, so it was super fast-paced. Everyone's doing drugs. The music's going. It was like the original Remedy, the original house music people like Mark Farina and Doc Martin and all those guys would come in. Um, 
Biz Marquis did the New Year's Eve show there in, in uh, you know, the turn of the century. Um, so, and, and, and what just, year is this that you're, that you're, that you This was like in? 1999, 98, 99, okay. 2000. And then big, I was only there for, it closed uh, in 2002, I believe. It shut down. Um, but I loved, I just worked hard. I'd make like 300 bucks a night. Um, I only got paid $5 an hour. And the boss complained that I worked too much. He's like, the other barbacks do it. They show up at 8 o'clock and they leave at 3. And you're here from 4 until 4. But, man, no one did it like I did. It was the bartenders never had to wait. For, I, I, I The bottle changed. If I saw it getting low, I took the bottle out. No one ever had to change a bottle or ask for ice or straws or fruit or anything. It was perfect all the time. And I had seven bartenders that I had to service that I had to, like, set up separate bars in other rooms like I mean bring all the liquor out of one little room one little storage room held all the liquor so I had to set up seven separate bars for people seven. and then race around all night and make sure they still had everything it was amazing that's it was huge crazy seven and I loved it and I wasn't there to, to mack on women or get loaded I was just there to work and I had this sincerity this utter ferocity of intense just I, I was just working and nothing I'd conversation i didn't talk to anybody i was and i looked like i was stressed out i had the 11s they call the 11s those two vertical lines but above your nose when you're stressed out i had the 11s going all the time but my outward appearance belied the inner serenity i was like a monk or something i was so happy just working so hard i was completely serene inside i loved just sprinting and working because i knew that i was making money and the bar industry is great because you can look how you want to look you could be tattooed and pierced and look all crazy and you can make a lot of money without any real skill set, yep. you know. And I was too – actually, I, I shot myself in the foot because I was too good of a barback, so no one ever wanted to promote me to bartender because <laughs> they wanted because they knew if I was the barback, I would take care of everything. I would even bartend for the bartenders, and they would go out and smoke and do drugs and go get a blowjob in the back room, and I'd take care of them. And they would. So it was, it was a very wild time in San Francisco, a lot of uh, ecstasy and, you know, it's just a really, really fun time. <laughs> so that being said, so I worked there, and then you know how the bar industry is. If you have one job, you'll more, more often than not work at two or three, sometimes four different places. So I worked. Um, I went from the Big Heart City. I worked at the Black Cat up in North Beach. Um, I worked at this place called the Blind Tiger, which is now the Sip Lounge, which just closed. It's on Broadway and Powell. Oh yeah. Um, I was there for another five years. I worked at the Chi Chi Lounge, which is a four forty uh, Broadway, which was um, like. It was like a women's review back in the 40s. You know, I've since found like little matchbooks with some of these addresses on them. Um, so, so all this time I was living with a woman and I've always found the best way to save money is you just have to work a lot and just don't have a car or a drug habit or, <laughs> or, 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 ha or a child and have reasonably cheap rent. And that's how you can save money. It's just an a infallible um, equation. You know, you just work a lot and you don't spend a lot of money. And that's what I did for years and years. And I just saved money working at all these different jobs. I was splitting rent with my girl at the time. So my rent was like $550 for years. And I just worked so much. I didn't have time to spend any money and just managed to save up um, a good little nest egg. And then I finally got offered a gig at Bender's Bar out in the Mission. I met this fellow named, uh, he's a notorious local named Makeout Mike who used to work at the Zeitgeist. And he gets the name from, um, he's a real raconteur, so he talks to women, and, and, and his come online is like, do you drink? And she'll be like, yeah, do you smoke? Yeah, do you eat meat? Yeah, do you want to make out? That's what he'd say. He, that was his come online to all these women. So I met Make Out Mike at a Tidal Wave Metal Fest in 2005, 
and he said, you're going to love this bar called Bender's. It's kind of like your style. You're tattooed. You like extreme music. And I walked in the door at Bender's, and it was like walking in that first bar, Big Heart City again. I was like, this is home. There was like, it was cluttered, but in a beautiful way. And it was like an emotionally resonant bar. It was like rock and roll and underground. And it was like the bar that I always wanted to work at. And I loved Johnny Davis, uh, one of the owners there, you know, and I was so enamored of the bar that I told them that I would love to work there. They didn't have any openings right away, so I had to wait. And then the second they had a door shift opened up, they let me know. And I, every time Benders had a shift available for me, I would call in sick to my other bar jobs to work there. So I made myself available to them, 120%. And then, this is not long after it became... When did it become Benders? Benders, when did um, they open? That was 2003. Yeah, two, sorry, 2003. Yes. And this is 2005. So, yeah, they, uh-huh. so they've yeah. been open a couple years. Only a couple years, In yeah. kind of a curse. I remember. I lived yeah. in the neighborhood. It was and kind of a curse spot. It was kind of a dicey space. It was like a lot of gang activity. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't what it is now, which is super like... Nice. And that spot was kind of weird. It had been what was it like Spitfire or something weird before that? It, it was, was like called a Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Thank yeah, you. It was it called Sacrifice. First, it okay. was called, little bridge um, and tunnel. First, it was, it was weird. called the, the Bar Imperial. Yeah, and then it was called the Sacrifice Bar. Yeah, and I had kind um, of written the spot. I lived literally a block away, but I had kind of written the spot itself off. Yeah, just because it was never a place I wanted to go to. I was like, how could it ever? Yeah, and, and then a couple years in, someone told me it's like, oh no, it's a great place. Maybe and, until and before that, I actually went to the library and I looked up. It was called Three Brother. It was Three Brothers or Three Friends. I think it was Three Friends, <laughs> and they must not have been friends for long because <laughs> it was only in the phone book for like two years, and then it went, went, it went bye bye. Okay, so you come in and it's it's a couple years into Benders. Yeah, a couple years into you're Benders. You're like, I'll pick up any shit. I made shift. myself very available to them, and then just began. Uh, I started on door there and then became a bar back. And then they gave me my own bartending shift on Wednesday nights with uh, Will Carroll was my DJ. And he's the drummer for Death Angel. Um, and he just played this great extreme metal that I, he turned me on to a lot of great bands. And I was in heaven. I finally got a bartending gig at my favorite bar in the city. And then Pyromania struck and someone lit the bar on fire and Benders burned down only a few months after I was bartending. So... That was really devastating, and so when Benders, so they say when one door closes, another opens, so I applied at the Zeitgeist, and that was my foot in the door at the Zeitgeist, so I became, again, at Zeitgeist, I had to do the same thing. I started on the front door, then became security, then became a barback, then eventually got some shitty weeknight bartending gig, and then eventually became head bartender on Friday and Saturday nights. Um, so yeah, a lot of hard work. It took a lot of hard work to get where I am. You can't and just now, sit there and expect things to come to you. You know, you have to work pretty hard. And I, and that's a thing that I'm seeing a lot nowadays. If, if they say that whole joke with millennials is, you know, how this, they're like, eh, like they're, they're so offended by everything and they, they don't want to work hard. And in my experience, um, I, I was, I got abused. I had bartenders throw things at me, curse at me. Um, I really got put through the ringer. And it's just maybe it's our generation from the 60s. It's a thicker skin or something like that. But I just shut up and I kept working and I just kept grinding. I just kept making money and put my head down and I worked. I didn't get offended. I didn't run away. I got pissed off. But that just fueled me to just work harder and keep going. You know? What year would this have been that you went to Zeitgeist? Zeitgeist was 2000 and, uh, 2006. Uh, my first day was okay. June 22nd, 2006. Wow, to the and day. I was so happy to work there because, again, that was the, one of the coolest bars in the city. I mean, Bender's was like my home. That was the bar that I always wanted to be part of, and I was really honored to be part of their team. Mm-hmm. But the Zeitgeist is like almost a whole different animal. It's just that I got this cool from the Rainbow Cattle Company to being a biker bar to... Uh, all these 
cool iterations into being this just like notorious, like the busiest bar in the state of California. There's something so freewheeling and wild about the zeitgeist that I was so to, to work there. I mean, I have two zeitgeist. I mean, I'm a pretty passionate dude, so I have like two zeitgeist tattoos. Yeah, I have a Bender's tattoo as well. So I tend yeah. to I like to honor the things that I'm really passionate about. And the yard is like five times the size of the bar or yeah, something like yeah, yeah, it the, was all about yeah, the yard the, yeah the yard is 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 amazing and it used to just be a junkyard yeah the place is opened by this guy hans grauman who owned uh he did the rainbow cattle company um he did the rat and raven he he was one of the guys that opened the cinch up on polk street one of the first gay bars in the city one of the first fern bars um and we opened zeitgeist people said he was a fool because the overpass was there it was like a no man's land and the whole backyard was just, he was a hoarder, so it was just filled with, like, washing machines and old trucks and just tons and tons of garbage. And as the Zeitgeist got pop more, more and more popular, it, it started out as the Rainbow Cattle Company, so it was kind of a gay bar. And then morphed in Peter Hackett, um, who works up in the Russian River now, um, Stumptown Brewery, that's Peter Hackett's place. Peter Hackett came in and took over Zeitgeist. And it became, he, he named it the Zeitgeist, which means time ghost, spirit of the times also. And uh, as the place got busier and busier, they just kept throwing junk out of the backyard until they have it today where the only thing left is that old red truck mm. um, that says Old Field on it. That's in the corner. And uh, yeah, what a wild place. That place is unlike anything that's ever existed before. Now you have to remember that this is before all these beer gardens popped up in San Francisco. So this place was very, he was very prescient. Like Hans, the open it, you know, it was like ahead of that, ahead of the curve. Now there's a brewery and a beer garden like on every corner mm -hmm. and people have copied that formula ad infinitum all over the city. Mm -hmm. But Zeitgeist was the first and, and arguably the best and just the most underground, like real motorcyclists and the, the counterculture was there. The, the people with tattoos and piercings and bike messengers and musicians. It was a dark, weird, dirty, divey place. It was kind of scary to go to and always fun. And before now, Yelp, before, yeah, before all that, and smartphones. now, and now, unfortunately, it's turned to uh, it's turned into like Disney Disneyland. It's like a tourist trap. You know, yeah. people go to the Zeitgeist. I worked there, and I liked working there because I like extreme music. Again, that term. I just like metal. I like rock. I like heavy stuff. You know, and now people go there, and they're like, "Ooh, the bartenders have tattoos, and the, there's Slayers playing on the jukebox, and there's motorcycles in the corner, and it's a scary place. Let's go and get scary." At, and it's just and it's, get mimosas. Yeah, it's kind of it's turned into like a Wally world. It's like people make these pilgr pilgr pilgrimages to go to Zeitgeist, and it's almost like a badge of honor to get thrown out of Zeitgeist. Like, oh, <laughs> I, I I looked at the bouncer cross eyed and I got thrown out. And it was like we used to go there because we went with people of our birds of a feather would flock together. We'd go there and talk about art and politics and motorcycles and tattoos and bands, and it was like a real cool spot. And now it just be, it's like a sea of khaki, khaki. I mean, yeah. khaki. Yeah, yeah. Like an Abercrombie and Fitch, you know, commercial. And, and so, so and this bros. is while um, I'm sorry. This is while Benders is rebuilding. Yeah, this re is while Benders was rebuilding. So that's why I got my start at Zeitgeist, and then Benders reopened in fall of 2007, and then I started bartending there again. And then, uh, and then the rest is history. And I still had, I, and I was working at Whole Foods at the time, so. You know, to get where I am today, it took a, an enormous amount of hard work. It took you know, seven days a week of working at Whole Foods part time, working at the Skylark Bar, working at Bender's Bar, working at Zeitgeist. It was just I was just working all the time, and you can't help but save money doing that. And I always I'm liking it to like where I'm I'm at now in life, where I don't. I mean, I still work hard, but 
I don't have the energy that I did. And it's like, <laughs> I liken it to the, the rocket that went to the moon, um, the Apollo 11, when it goes up, that enor- if you can imagine that enormous amount of thrust and that power, that incandescent ferocity to get that thing out of Earth's gravitational pull into the moon, that's what it took to get me where I am today. It took that amount of work, and I'm, I'm like just wrung out. You know, at this point, it took my whole life just to get where I'm at now. Now I'm kind of not free floating, but I'm kind of I'm still going towards the goal. But it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time to get places sometimes. So I was working at Benders as a. So I, I started again, like I started at the door, door guy. Then I barbacked for a while. Then they let me have my own bartending shift. Then Benders burned down two months later, and I was inconsolable. Started working at Zeitgeist, then, Zeit, then Benders rebuilt. So I'm back there bartending again. Um, and then they made me the bar manager because I was such an absolute, you know, manic, uh, meat freak, uh, minutiae, <laughs> what do you call it? A micromanager. I'm a classic micromanager. It, it's, it's insane, and I'm trying to be, to be better, and it's really hard. But uh, so they made me the manager there, the bar manager. And then one of the partners decided to leave, and they asked if I wanted to buy me and another fella bought his share of the bar and I was ecstatic and luckily all that hard work and saving that money I had enough money saved to be able to buy into that share of benders it was the scariest thing I've done in my entire life scarier than climbing pseudo tower because I took my entire life savings because I saved money not knowing what I wanted to save money for I knew I hated children I never wanted a child so it wasn't for a kid I fucking hate traveling I'd, I'd much rather just I could see the world through the safety of my uh laptop or my computer i don't need to go there i don't need to go to fucking ghana and sweat and get a fucking bitten by a tsetse fly or be caught in some war torn fucking country drinking some rancid water no thank you i don't even want to go to bermuda and stay in a four class you know four-star hotel i'm very comfortable in my one-bedroom apartment traveling the world from there so that being said i saved all that money not knowing why i needed money but knowing that i money just is a good thing to have in this world so i had that money saved for no reason i never wanted to own a bar it just happened to me that's why i feel kind of weird because a lot of people they they know what they want to do in life and i literally blundered into it i've always said i'm a dishwasher made good it's just like <laughs> the right things happened and i happened to but all that dedication and stuff like bukowski said dedication without talent is useless you can want to be the best photographer or the best painter or the best musician but all the work in the world isn't going to help you if you have no innate talent and i have a talent for the minutiae and the day-to-day of running a bar from the ground up, like I know every aspect of this bar, every millimeter of the bar that I'm in, and I love it. At the time, uh, was it just Johnny and Liam? Who, who was the owner? Yeah, it owners? was Johnny and Liam and their friend Cam, um, okay. who was in construction, okay. and his wife kind of wanted him to get out of the game, so he got out of the game because, you know, the, the bar life is a, is a rough life. It can chew you up and spit you out if you don't watch your step you know which is all the drinking and partying and stuff like that it's Especially not the faint of heart a fire and yeah exactly that, yeah. so he decided to focus on his construction business and that left an opening and they knew that we were i was as honest as the day as long that i was going to work for them it was my favorite bar in the city so it was just like it was a no-brainer yeah so and then so i became part owner of benders and um and then eventually we were we started talking about opening another bar um, and then around when was th- when was that that you guys started talking? 2011, I guess 2011, and then our business partner Cameron um, found the space at 510 Larkin Street, and we all came down and checked it out. And it was like it, re- it was the first place that reminded me of Big Heart City. It's like a place that's so magical that I couldn't even believe what I was looking at. I just saw the potential in this place. 
and he did as well. And we rebuilt the place from the ground up. It had to be gutted. It was really uh, left in disrepair. It, the bar had been shat on for years and years and years. Formerly Deco. It was formerly, yeah. Many Deco. iterations. It was called the Domar Club back in the 40s. It was called Irene's Domar Club. Um, it was called Jezebel's Joint, uh, the Deco Bar, the Deco Lounge. Um, Both uh, gay community and hip-hop community. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It was a pretty special There's place. There's some history you know? here. It was a lot of history, a lot of real fun, just like how Big Heart City was. It was like a lot of just history and wild parties and just sexual abandon and real <laughs> old-school, dirty, down-and-dirty San Francisco. Um, but I just fell in love with the space. We all did, and we just all still worked all of our jobs, and then we'd come here on any free time that we had, and we ripped this place down to the studs and rebuilt it. It has a good feng shui, as they say. It's got just a very good feel to the bar. It's kind of very open concept, and it's not claustrophobic at all, and there's all these different microclimates, like microenvironments, and uh, and we opened it in June of 2013, and we just had our five-year anniversary a couple weeks ago, and yeah. And this is my dream come true. I'm living the dream. I'm doing what I love to do. And it's my, you know, I absolutely love owning a bar and all the work that it entails and everyone that I work with and all the customers. So I'm a very, very happy person at this point. So all that hard work paid off. Check back next week when we'll hear stories from belly dancer Pepper Alexandria. Music for this episode is by Otis McDonald, a.k.a. Joe Bigale. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Follow Storied San Francisco on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our website, which has all the episodes, plus a store where you can buy our merchandise, is storiedsf.com. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Send comments and suggestions to storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.